Ukraine and the UK have signed a historic security agreement which will help Ukraine better defend itself against Russia. Meanwhile, on the front lines, Russia has been attempting to establish a buffer zone in Kharkiv Oblast, while Ukraine launched a partial counteroffensive and recaptured several positions near Kupyansk. You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, an English-language website about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I am a Ukrainian philosopher, journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. I am joined by my colleagues Anastasia Heresimchuk and Darya Sinhayevska, journalist and analyst at Ukraine World, to discuss key events in and around Ukraine for the last week. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at paypal ukraine.resistinggmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. A week of important diplomatic developments has passed. As usual, Dasha and I prepared an overview of key events that happened in and around Ukraine. Dasha, what are we going to talk about today? Uh, Nastya, so in this episode we are going to kick off from the developments on our front line uh, with also overview of uh, our partners' support for Ukraine. And um, in this case we are going to mention various uh, types of support, including uh, Zelensky visit to Baltic states and uh, those countries. Um, basically, then we are going to zoom in on key statements that were delivered by um, Budanov to the uh, media outlet uh, Le Monde. We are also going to pay attention to Rishi Sunak's visit to Ukraine and also uh, pay attention to a new meeting of uh, NATO-Ukraine Council. Well, let's start uh, with the frontline news as we do it usually. Uh, frontline developments remain extremely important uh, and we should pay close attention to it. So fighting goes on in all the directions of the front. And <clears throat> let's start uh, with the southern direction. In the south, on the left bank of uh, the Dnipro River in Kherson Oblast, Russian troops are attempting to attack Ukrainian bridgeheads. And Ukrainian armed, the Ukrainian armed forces at the same time are trying to expand their bridgeheads. Uh, so uh, the fighting is going on uh, constantly there. Um, Russians do not have any success in their attempts to attack these bridgeheads, even though the fights are heavy. And uh, Ukrainian armed forces managed to repel these attacks, and at the same time they are trying to solidify their positions in that area. Uh, moving to the eastern part of the front, combat actions keep taking place in Kupiansk, Marinka, Bakhmut, and Avdivka directions. The Avdivka sector remains the hottest spot. The uh, Russian occupational forces slightly moved forward in that area. And here we uh, again talk about uh, some positional fights uh, because the um, front line 
uh, is moving back and forwards uh, all the time. So there are slight uh, movement forwards by Russian uh, armed forces. At the same time, Ukrainians are counterattack and also move uh, forward in a certain direction. Uh, so the line isn't stable. The front line isn't stable, but there are not uh, big gains and breakthroughs. So uh, the Russian uh, troops are advancing on the east of the Avdivka coal plant. So if we look at the map of uh, the town, uh, its location in the northwest of the town. So uh, that's that that's how uh, Russians keep trying to encircle the town. And the Ukrainian troops, as, I, uh, as I've already told, are counterattacking in the same directions. Uh, according to some military analysts, Russia is getting ready for a next massive assault on Avdivka. Uh, even though there are no signs of preparations for these massive assaults, I mean, uh, that kind of preparations that make it possible uh, in the nearest future, uh, still uh, the military analysts assume that uh, there will be a big new big campaign in that direction, uh, especially because it uh, might have an important symbolic meaning. So Russians need to uh, show some success before the presidential elections. And uh, Avdivka area is extremely important in this regard. Bakhmut is another critical spot on the front. Uh, analysts Mm, but uh, recently, analysts pay close attention to Chasif Yar, which uh, is located in the same area, and this town is uh, located close to Bakhmut. Uh, Chasif Yar has a big strategic importance. Mm, it, it, it is a big logistic uh, point, logistic hub of Ukrainian armed forces. And at the same time, its location, like the control over this place, opens the way to Konstantinivka, Drushkivka, Kramatorsk, and Slovyansk. These are important uh, towns in the Donetsk region. And uh, Russian big goal is to uh, get to the borders of Donetsk Oblast. Uh, so moving forward in this direction would let them to would let them uh, take the whole uh, the whole region. Uh, that is why Ukraine is paying uh, special attention to uh, to defend these areas. And if we talk about Chasifyar, it's not an easy task for Russian troops to take it because there are several layers of uh, defense uh, built by Ukrainian armed forces uh, regarding the strategic importance of this point. The commander of the ground forces of Ukraine, Alexander Sirsky, um, commented on the Russian attacks along the whole, the whole front line. Uh, he emphasized that the Russians are attacking nonstop in some sectors of the front. But what is extremely important here that Ukraine counterattacks. So Ukraine is in the defense position right now, but it's an active defense. And as I've already mentioned, mentioned uh, in some areas, in some spots on the front, uh, after Russian attacks, Ukraine manages to counterattack and also uh, gain some uh, some achievements. According uh, according to the information of uh, the command of armed forces of Ukraine, uh, the constant violation of laws and customs of war by Russian armed forces uh, is taking place. And it's not surprising. Uh, the Russian troops were never following the rules and uh, laws of war. 
and they have been using uh, the prohibited uh, weaponry for uh, the whole period of the full-scale invasion. But the um, armed forces of Ukraine command um, presented the statistics uh, of usage of chemical weapons by uh, the Russian troops. And uh, as, as if it was uh, said, uh, 626 cases of uh, use of chemical weapons, chemical substances, have been recorded. And uh, 51 cases of usage of these prohibited weapons by Russian, Russians were recorded just in January of this year. Uh, so uh, enemy troops most often use special types of grenades, um, which carry these chemical substances, and most often they are dropped from drones. But there are also cases when uh, they use improvised explosive devices uh, that uh, contain these chemical uh, substances, or they also use artillery shelling with uh, shells that contain these uh, dangerous chemical components. And uh, talking about the violation of rules of law, uh, law and international law, um, Russians keep attacking Ukrainian peaceful cities. And I have to uh, tell about another massive aerial attack on Ukrainian cities. It took place on Saturday morning and um, Russia carried out another massive aerial attack using cruise uh, missiles, aeroballistic missiles, ballistic missiles, uh, strike drones, anti-aircraft guided missiles. So as we see, um, the whole arsenal of missiles uh, was used again. And uh, a total of 40 means of um, airstrike uh, of airstrike were recorded. So Russians used like 40, 40 means. Uh, the uh, air raid alert was announced uh, around the whole Ukraine. But the um, explosions were reported in uh, Dnipro, Kremenchuk, Kropivnitsky, Chernihiv, and Shostka. It's uh, the Sumo region. So quite many cities uh, suffered uh, from this massive attack. And um, Russians, even though their focus is on civilian infrastructure and residential areas, uh, while they are attacking Ukraine from the air, uh, military facilities uh, still remain uh, one of the important targets. And according to the Estonian intelligence, uh, in recent weeks under these massive attacks, Russians um, pay close attention, let's say so. They attack a number of Ukrainian military facilities, including air bases. Uh, so uh, for these kind of attacks, they use caliber missiles and other uh, types of long-range missiles. And um, what is important to note here, like these big attacks on air bases, for example, uh, they show that Russia considers them uh, dangerous, uh, considers it dangerous uh, that Ukraine will soon receive F-16 fighters, uh, fighter jets. And uh, that is why uh, air bases um, have become uh, one of the primary targets again. Uh, and um, Ukraine uh, is trying to do its best to protect the military facilities as uh, powerfully as possible. 
And in in this context, it is important to talk about the aid from uh, Ukrainian partners, because uh, only standing together, only being united, it is possible to uh, to win this war. It is uh, possible to repel the enemy. And a good news uh, came from the Swedish government. Uh, the last week, the Swedish government has decided to provide Ukraine with 50 million Swedish kroner, uh, which is about $5.8 million. And uh, this money are, uh, is supposed to be used to, to finance already agreed projects, uh, which um, have which face the lack of funds. For example, these are projects on the purchase of defense equipment, fuel, medical equipment, or demining equipment. This money will be directed to the NATO Trust Fund for Ukraine. Um, and it's a big uh, step uh, towards uh, strengthening the Ukrainian facilities and capabilities on the battlefield. There are also positive news regarding defense industry cooperation. Markus Faber, a member of the uh, Bundestag from the Free Democratic Party and a member of the Defense Committee, said that the a German company that uh, produces military vehicles. <clears throat> I will not uh, say uh, the name of this company. I'm not a German speaker. That's why I'm afraid I will uh, pronounce it uh, incorrectly. That is why I will just not mention this name, the name of this company, but it's a big uh, German military vehicles manufacturer. So uh, Markus Faber told that uh, Germany, is, uh, this company, is building a center for the repair of armored vehicles in Ukraine, such as uh, Leopard tanks, tanks, for example. According to him, this means a huge increase in efficiency for Ukraine, because in future there will be no need for expensive and long-term transportation of damaged uh, vehicles abroad. And the armed forces of Ukraine will be able to train their mechanics directly on the spot. Uh, so it will reduce the time uh, of um, uh, repairing and these vehicles, uh, will, it will be possible for them to get back to the battlefield sooner. And of course, it will reduce the expenses. Uh, also, France is determined to uh, strengthen Kiev's capabilities in the production of weapons. And... Uh, and um, during his visit, uh, the uh, French foreign minister emphasized that. He told that uh, France is determined to uh, strengthen these capabilities, including um, opening facilities on the territory of Ukraine. And France is ready to help in this area. Uh, so the... Um, the French uh, foreign minister, Stéphane Sejourné, uh, he uh, visited uh, Kiev last uh, week and uh, he told about uh, this decision at his uh, joint briefing with the uh, Ukrainian foreign minister, Dmitry Kuleba. Uh, so we see the practical steps of uh, deepening uh, the military cooperation, military production cooperation between Ukraine and its Western partners. And uh, recently... Uh, we discussed uh, this topic with uh, Valentin Badrak, the director of the Center for Army Conversion and Disarmament Studies, and uh, he put a special emphasis on the importance of this kind of cooperation 
between Ukraine and its Western partners. Uh, because this kind of um, cooperation is the first step to security guarantees to Ukraine. Uh, so if we are talking about security guarantees, uh, it's also about making, it's primarily, I would say, ma- making Ukraine as powerful state, uh, as military pot- potent and superior to the enemy that uh, the further aggression uh, should uh, seem inconceivable. Uh, so uh, the... Um, Guarantors of Ukrainian security uh, main component should be a clear definition of material and technological assistance, as well as the integration of their defense industry with the Ukrainian one. And now we see uh, certain practical steps in this direction. Uh, and uh, this joint military technical production play important role in ensuring Ukrainian security. Uh, so uh, as uh, Valentin Badrak also mentioned that the this um, cooperation, the uniting um, military technical uh, production uh, of Ukraine and the Western partners might have or will have several steps, several stages. And the first stage is like a testing stage. And the Western companies are going to open the, the facilities for repairing uh, the military equipment. And the next steps would become more difficult processes of production, like the production of the weaponry itself or even uh, even uh, joint uh, actions in the sphere of developing uh, the modern uh, weaponry. And uh, we see that uh, indeed, like the first uh, step by the German company uh, to build facilities to repair uh, the uh, armored vehicles, um, is already taking place. So for Ukraine, it is very important to show its effectiveness in this sphere so that this kind of cooperation will develop and uh, it's, uh, it, it, it will become an important pillar, uh, uh, important pillar in ensuring Ukrainian security. And now let's pass to the diplomatic block uh, of our our today's episode. Uh, Several extremely important events took place the last week. President Zelensky went to the Baltic states uh, and met with the leadership of these countries. And uh, the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak visited Ukraine. So what were the results of this meeting, Stasha? Uh, So, yes, I can't help but mentioning that uh, we have some uh, visible achievements of uh, Zelensky's visit to Baltic states and uh, their unwavering, staunchest allies um, support uh, for Ukraine. For example, Lithuania has approved a package of long-term military assistance to Ukraine worth 200 million euros and will send ammunition generators and detonation systems in January and uh, M577 armored personnel carriers in February. Agreements were also signed between the Ukrainian and Lithuanian defense industries, including on the joint production of drones and electronic warfare equipment. At the same time, uh, Lithuania remains the head of the international coalition for demining of Ukraine. Um, On the other side, the president of Estonia said that Estonia's long-term contribution to Ukraine's assistance, uh, not only military, by uh, 2027 would amount to 1.2 billion euros. 
and he added that Ukraine needs more and better weapons. In addition, it is worth noting that um, Estonia continues legal work on the preparation of law on Russian assets, which is very important for uh, Ukraine internationally. And uh, Zelensky and Kuleba also spoke about this in Tallinn. Tallinn. Um, Latvia has announced the next aid package, which will include uh, howitzers, 155mm ammunition, anti-tank weapons, missiles, grenades, uh, helicopters, drones. Um, And uh, I should also stress that Latvia is a co-leader of the International Drone Coalition, communications equipment, generators, and equipment. So as you can see, uh, this is a real vast help from our partners, which um, share uh, historic memory and uh, the aspirations for future for repelling the aggressor. And moving forward, we also have to um, draw some conclusions from Rishi Sunak's visit to Ukraine, because a historic event on uh, the signing of a bilateral security cooperation agreement between the UK and uh, Ukraine took place. So in this set, um, I'm going to share some of my um, observations, both from the press conference and uh, the agreement published a day before. And uh, as the UK uh, Prime Minister set the tone when he said, as the, as the representative of the oldest parliament, I appeal to the most courageous parliament, we uh, can't help but mentioning that the agreement provides for a 100-year partnership, annual additional uh, aid for 10 years, and uh, automatic provision of weapons to Ukraine in case of any aggression. In his speech to the Verkhovna Rada, Rishi Sunak drew parallels between Britain's struggle in World War II and Ukraine's current struggle, noting that he believes the situation will turn in Kyiv's favor despite the difficult moment. And here I recall some um, observations of uh, Ukrainian military analyst um, uh, Mikola Beliskov, who said that, and, and basically Rishi Sunak uh, just the day before, also stated that today is more like 1942. It was a moment in the middle of the war when progress on the battlefield was difficult. The defense industry was under severe strain and uh, the population was becoming tired. And it must have been difficult to see the light ahead, but the British stood firm. And although they didn't know it at that time, there was a moment when the tide began to turn in their favor and victory became inevitable. And um, in this case, British Prime Minister um, said firmly that this will happen to Ukraine as well. Um, this agreement will remain in effect until Ukraine joins NATO, and this is the first bilateral agreement to implement the um, like provisions agreed upon during the NATO summit in Vilnius between uh, Ukraine, G7, and the states that joined them. Uh, Basically, um, I would say that discourse matters, because we know that at a press conference in Kyiv, after the signing of the agreement, President Volodymyr Zelensky used the word guarantees, or the phrase security guarantees when describing it. While uh, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak announcing um, the signed document chose a different term, and uh, repeatedly emphasized that it was about security assurances 
as a part of the promise that Ukraine received from G7, uh, uh, G7 states. The term might be of a sensitive nature, as you know that it was used in the infamous Budapest Memorandum, but for time being, this agreement is considered to be of a great significance because uh, we know that the UK was the first to provide Ukraine with lethal weapons, tanks, long-range missiles, etc. So um, it continues to support Ukraine. Rishi Sunak also announced a large package of military aid for Ukraine worth uh, £2.5 billion and said that London would provide £200 million for the production of drones for Ukraine. So the main message of his visit is clear. The United Kingdom will not uh, flinch and uh, it will stand by Ukraine in its darkest hours and its best times ahead. It would be noted that the security guarantees are bilateral. In accordance with the agreement, it is stated that Ukraine's military capabilities should be at a level that in the event of external military aggression against the United Kingdom, Ukraine will be able to provide effective military assistance. And in this case, I guess this is a very um, right moment to move to NATO Ukraine Council, as far as we mentioned that this agreement came as a result, uh, let's say, of uh, a NATO meeting in Vilnius. So uh, I guess it's uh, time to talk about uh, developments in this front, right? Right. On the 10th of January, the uh, NATO Ukraine Council was convened at Ukraine's, at re Ukraine's request. Before getting to the details of this meeting, I uh, would like to remind you that the NATO Ukraine Council was established as a result of Vilnius NATO uh, summit as a tool for deeper cooperation uh, of Ukraine uh, between Ukraine and NATO. And um, this council can uh, is convened at on the regular basis and can be convened at the request of uh, any par party to any part of this uh, council. Uh, so the uh, latest um, meeting was convened uh, because of the recent waves of uh, heavy Russian attacks against Ukrainian civilians and infrastructure. Uh, so the um, means to protect Ukraine from these brutal attacks were the main topic of this uh, of this meeting. And uh, not getting deeply into the details of um, negotiations of the conversations between the partners, uh, the main message that was uh, made after the meeting is that the allies will continue to provide Ukraine with major military, economic and humanitarian assistance. And um, allies, like many allies, also outlined plans to provide billions of euros, euros of further capabilities in 2024. So the message is absolutely clear and it's unwavering that the NATO and uh, its allies separately will continue supporting Ukraine and will um, provide any necessary assistance so that Ukrainians uh, can protect themselves from Russian brutal attacks. And um, to sum up uh, our today's episode and to um, more clearly describe the results of this meeting, I would like to cite the words of uh, the Secretary General uh, Jens Stoltenberg. Uh, he's had very important issues that um, 
describe the current situations and that um, describe the position of NATO members. So he said that NATO strongly condemns, condemns Russian missile and drone attacks on Ukrainian civilians, including with weapons from North Korea and Iran. For a second year in a row, Putin is trying to wear down Ukraine with mass strikes, but he will not succeed. Russia's campaign of cruelty only strengthens Ukraine's resolve. As Moscow intensifies its strikes on Ukrainian cities and civilians, NATO allies are boosting Ukraine's air defenses. We will continue to stand by the brave Ukrainians as they push back against Russia's war of aggression. Um, except for this diplomatic part of the story, um, it is very important to follow what Ukrainian officials are uh, telling to the foreign media to understand better the real situation in and around the country. And the head of, of uh, defense intelligence of Ukraine, Kirill Budanov, um, had an interview uh, with the uh, Le Monde media and uh, Dasha is going to tell us about the main points uh, of uh, of his interview. Yes, it wouldn't last for long, but at the same time, we think it's important to uh, highlight in some um, key messages that were delivered by uh, Chief of uh, Intelligence Service of Ukraine. Um, as uh, a lot of you know, speculations are around the topic, around the topic of uh, Russia's war in Ukraine, uh, the uh, future developments in twenty twenty four. So, in his interview, he said that. Um, firstly, Russia's missile attacks are caused by the aggressor's desire to declare 2023 a victorious year. But the Russians have, have had no real military successes. Compared to previous years since the end of the summer, we have seen an increase in the number of ammunition produced by Russia. At the same time, we note um, a decline in the quality of these shells. He also mentioned that the intensive use of drones on both sides made it impossible for both Russian and Ukrainian offensive operations to take place. And another factor is the density of minefields, which has not been seen since World War II. We know um, a solution like for drones, uh, electronic countermeasures, and uh, mines require specialized equipment and Ukraine needs it as well. Um, he also mentioned that uh, Ukraine has achievements in uh, the area of uh, northern part of the Black Sea because it's under Ukraine's control and uh, so are gas production platforms. Um, the maritime exports, um, export corridors, which are very important for our economy, are functioning again despite the risks. And Ukraine is um, active at sea, so Russians had to move uh, everything to the southeast in a hurry. They are trying to create a naval base in uh, Ochamchira. It's an uh, it's a part in the occupied uh, territory of uh, Georgia. And again, uh, it's important to to um, mention that everyone thought that Moscow had a strong army but a weak economy. It turned out to be the other way around. Their their army is weak. And of course, we know that sanctions are working, but they should have affected the main sectors of the Russian economy, like energy, um, financial system in general. And surely, last but not least, we need more shells and artillery systems. It's not just about modern technologies. We are also interested in um, like 
basically everything, including the systems that are no longer in use in other states. So the issue of quantity is also of great importance. And uh, for now, that's it. We are very grateful for our listeners to uh, support, for supporting us, for uh, staying tuned. And um, we are also uh, writing the new episode in recent days for the new week to come. So thank you and see you later. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by Ukraine World. Ukraine World is a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher, journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. I was joined by my colleagues Anastasia Heresimchuk and Daria Sinhayevska, journalists and analysts at Ukraine World. Let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash Ukraine World. You can find this link in the description of this episode. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at PayPal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.